Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Jim Irsay, Colts owner, acknowledging what may be coming for rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson. The most likelihood is he's probably going to be gone for the year. I mean, it's not definite, but he probably misses this year, and we're going to have to contend with that factor. There's debate going, but it's probably going to lead towards surgery in the next week or so. We're just trying to figure out exactly how and when and what we want to do and what Anthony wants to do. This all comes from the grade three sprain to the AC joint. There were reports over the weekend, Sunday splashes about the possibility of season ending surgery. Jay Glazer said decision coming as soon as Monday. It sounds like they're giving it at least one more day because once you cross that bridge and have the surgery and the season's over, there is no coming back. They're thinking about his future, major investment, hoping that he becomes the next in the line that goes back to Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning before that. But It really is hard, Miles, not to view the Colts as somewhat cursed at the quarterback position. We joke about that with the 49ers all the time. But when you look at everything that's happened since Andrew Luck abruptly retired late August of 2019, Jacoby Brissett to Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan, and now you get somebody in there who is not on the wrong side of his best years and in his first year had a concussion, missed a game, now has the shoulder injury, and likely out for the year. Not that they're in bad hands with Gardner Minshew, but they're in better hands, also from the standpoint of long-term, developing, getting him on the field, getting him more reps. That's what hurts here more than anything else, regardless of how the season turns out for the Colts. This is a lost year to get Anthony Richardson closer to whatever his ceiling is going to be. Yeah, gosh, yeah, I I feel bad for him. You know, I, I really do, because... It just it seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's really trying. And you saw flashes of what that elite ability could be. I mean, when he can take off and run, he is tremendous. He's got a great arm. So you hate to see something like this for a rookie, especially some a guy that comes in highly touted. And you know, it just it seems like he's done things the right way. And so for him to suffer through multiple injuries 
in his first year in his first few games and then now potentially be out for the year it just that just stinks man just as a fan of football that stinks i i really do hate to see this and i and i hate it for the kid and uh so it means gardner Minshew the rest of the way who was not nearly as stellar as he'd been in recent performances when they got blown off the field by the Jaguars on Sunday. But I think the Jaguars are going to blow more than a few teams off the field this year. The Colts try to move forward three and three alive, relevant, but missing the guy that had shown flashes that he really could be superstar. He was the guy coming out in the draft. And I remember when Chris Sims was doing his quarterback rankings, when he said superstar potential for Anthony Richardson, that's when you just perk up and say, Hey, everybody's looking for that superstar. Yeah, you want to have a quarterback who can help you win games and be relevant and contend, but a superstar is going to carry you to the top of the mountain. So, uh, regardless, bad for the Colts, bad for Anthony Richardson, both in the short term and just longer term idea of getting him to where he needs to be. And uh, it's just yeah. a shame that it happened. But a lot of a lot of injuries this year, generally, a lot of quarterback injuries. Five alone this weekend. You know, they were working on Dak Prescott during the game last night, doing something with his back. And you could see after he had a big Band-Aid on his elbow and Herbert's got the bad finger. Once they start playing these games week after week after week, even with all of the safety precautions, there was that hit last night on Justin Herbert when he was sliding. He got rocked. And, you know, when – and the, the the videos are out there from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. I mean, hits like that, one of the hits over the weekend, big, big hit. I can't remember which game it was. Big blow to the head of a receiver. I mean, I think there was one last night, too. I mean, it was nothing. It was nothing. The, the challenge was, and the receivers were wired to just pop up and act like they weren't affected by it, even if they clearly were because you, you didn't want the defensive back to think he got the better of you. But those hits were completely legal. But even in today's game, with all the changes that have been made, it's still brutal, and guys are still banged up. We're a third of the way into the season, exactly a third of the way by way of weeks, not games, because some teams have had bye and some haven't. But six weeks in to the regular season, there's a lot of guys that are injured, Miles. Not many for the year, but a lot of them that – they're going to miss time potentially. You get backup quarterbacks in play. This is what this is why the league is so aggressive about roughing the passer. They want to have mm-hmm. as many healthy quarterbacks as possible because nothing ruins your ratings more than trotting out your second or third string quarterback. Right. Yeah. And this is one of the things that the Colts are going to have to think about with Anthony Richardson moving forward, because how did he get hurt? Well, it's on a designed run play. And what do you not want your quarterback to do? Well, get blasted when he's running it because that's the guy that you need to touch the ball on every play. And that's the guy that you need to deliver the football to his skill players. But I mean, this is what it is right here. When Richardson gets crushed by the the Tennessee Titans last week. And it's just like, man, he immediately points to the shoulder and it appears, you know, that he's seriously hurt. And it turns out that he is. And that's the really unfortunate thing. I mean, Shane Steichen, their head coach, talked about how that thing that they that run was close to popping the week before when they had played the Rams. And so you call it you want to take advantage of the skill sets of your players. And then something like that happens. It's just really unfortunate. And now it means that Anthony Richardson is not going to get the valuable playing experience that the whole front office 
whether it was Ursay, whether it was Chris Ballard, and you know, Shane Steichen played into this too. They were all talking about the fact that Anthony Richardson needs to play. They need to have him gain experience because he simply didn't have that much as a starter at Florida. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing when you come into the league. It's just, you know, he's a high ceiling player and you want to make sure that he can get to that high ceiling as quickly as possible. And for them, the thought was, let's play him. Let's get him on the field. Let's gain, get him these valuable snaps of experience. And now you're not going to be able to do that because he was injured on a, a designed run. That's unfortunate for everybody involved, you know, whether it's Richardson himself, whether it's the Colts, whatever you want to say it is. I mean, if he is, in fact, out for the year, that's going to be something that clearly sets him further back than he otherwise would have been. And again, it's nobody's fault, really, but it's something that now the Colts have to look at. Do we want to run him and put him in these potentially harmful situations as much as we did when he was a rookie that's and if you do that then that kind of takes away from the thing that makes him so brilliant but you also can't get him hurt because if he's hurt then he can't play so it's something that they have to weigh going forward for sure he was the fourth overall pick cj stroud the second overall pick for the texans has been playing great this year he's been the best of the three by far then there's the number one overall pick bryce young Drafted by the Panthers after they traded up from 9-1 to one to get him, necessarily putting even more pressure on the kid. And I hope teams will start factoring that in to their decisions about their, you know, this obsession, got to get the franchise quarterback. Oh, hey, let's go all in to go get, and now he's going to be the first overall pick. And, yeah, it's going to be hard for him because everyone expects him to come out and play at a very high level. The same way Cam Newton did when he was the first overall pick of the Panthers in 2011. And Cam Newton was phenomenal out of the gates. A lot of pressure on Bryce Young. A lot of pressure on the organization. And that leads to what happened yesterday. The news came initially from the triumvirate of NFL reporters. I don't know why it took three to tell us that Frank Reich would be giving up his play calling duties as head coach of the Panthers. But that is how it played out. Not long after that, Frank Reich himself acknowledged that he is surrendering the reins here he is talking about the decision to give up play calling for the Carolina offense. Obviously, uh, you saw reports out that in turning the play calling duties over to Thomas Brown, um, those reports are accurate. Um, it's always been part of the plan, something Thomas and I have discussed from the time that he was hired. Uh, I'm excited for this for Thomas. I'm excited for our team and our offense. Thomas is a stud. He's a great leader. He's a brilliant offensive mind. Uh, we all have a lot of confidence in him, and uh, you know sometimes, uh, and, and I think the timing is right. Uh, this has been something even from the beginning that I've talked through with Mr. Tepper and Scott from the beginning of the season. You know, thought that this bye week was going to be a checkpoint, um, and really been thinking hard about it the last couple of weeks, and kind of knew it was leaning this way. But um, here we are, and I'm excited that uh, excited to turn that over to Thomas and know he's going to do a great job for our team. That's a very reasonable, rational, plausible explanation. The problem is it feels like a reaction to being 0-6. It feels mm-hmm. like a concession that it's just not working, not that something that was planned. And it sounds like it was planned, but it kind of wasn't. It was kind of a tentative plan, and maybe the losses have influenced it. If anything, you would argue, you know what, we're not ready. We, we just need to get some wins. Before I, before I give you the wheel – 
of this car that I'm driving so that you can do what I do, I should probably make sure I'm driving it properly so you know what to do. I, so, I, look, I, I, and this isn't a specific knock on the Panthers. We, we know this goes on with every team. There's what they tell us, and then there's the truth, and sometimes they meet and sometimes they don't. The bottom line is this is what they're doing. Whatever the explanation is, whatever the rationalization is, whoever made the call, whoever didn't make the call, it doesn't matter. Moving forward, Thomas Brown's going to call the plays for the Panthers, and moving forward, coming out of this bye week, they are going to be desperately trying to get some wins. They have an owner who is involved. They have an owner who is an impatient person, who is demanding, and who found a way to become a multi-billionaire hedge fund manager, and he's finding out that running an NFL team is not as easy as amassing a multi-billion dollar fortune because one he was able to do and the other one for the life of him five years in he can't do yeah you know mike frank reich talked about handing over uh play calling duties to thomas brown eventually even when he started even when he hired thomas brown so and i have heard from you know people who work with him at the rams he was there from 2020 to 2022 uh, that Thomas Brown is a really, really good offensive mind, bright young coach, somebody that they felt could be a head coach someday. But when you're making this kind of change at week seven, I have a hard time believing that that actually was your plan. If they really thought that Thomas Brown should be the offensive play caller, why wasn't he the offensive play caller at the start of the season? I just, th- something doesn't feel right with this to me if you're going to be the head coach and you're going to have play calling duties and you've got a rookie quarterback it stands to reason that the head coach is going to be the offensive play caller in your mind like as you start the season for the entire regular season things are not working so now they have to make a change obviously they are 0 and 6 and that's fine Bryce Young is only averaging 5.3 yards per attempt that's not good enough his passer rating I think is in the 70s that's not good enough so I understand why they need to make a change and as we put the stats up right here I mean this is not a good offense it's just not they're not even averaging 200 yards per game they're not averaging four and a half yards per play yet they're only averaging 18.7 yard, excuse me, points per game. Like, this is not a good offense. So I understand why they've got to do something. The bye week is a good opportunity to make changes. But I, I don't know why you should feel good about this if you are a Panthers fan other than to say, yes, we kind of need to do something different. And this is something different that they can do in season. But overall, as you look at the picture of it, it's hard to have confidence in a coaching staff that changes play callers seven games into its tenure. That's not good as baseline anything. Maybe he's given up the offensive play calling because he's going to take over the defensive play calling. They've given up 42 points each of the last two games. And that was a defense that had a lot of great players, and they won the competition for E.J. Evero, the former Broncos defensive coordinator. The Vikings really wanted him. That was supposed mm-hmm. to be a strength of the team. The Panthers were supposed to be better than 0-6. Starting yes. the season, you looked at the NFC South, it's wide open. We don't know who's going to emerge. We don't know who's going to be good. So you got the Falcons at 3-3. Three and three, the Bucks at three and two, the Saints at three and three, and there's the Panthers, which doesn't belong and why. They can't even get a win. I think the pressure is high. And and again, and Frank Reich, hundred percent truthful when he says it's my decision. I have no reason to doubt it. 
You can put them on the lie detector test. You can put them on sodium pentothal. That's fine. But then after the question, was it your decision? Well, what kind of input, what kind of questions was posed to you by David Tepper? Because, see, I've said this many times, and it's not going to stop me from saying it again. When you are a multi-billionaire owner of anything, one of the benefits of having that much money and power and influence is you never have to tell people what to do. Can they I kind of figure out what you want. What? Can I say it? Won't someone Who, yeah, rid go ahead. me of this meddlesome priest? Who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? Yeah. That's exactly what David yeah. Tepper has to say. Just pull my string and let me say it. Yeah. 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 And and you don't and, and, and it's as simple as, well, you know, Frank, you had talked about maybe handing the reins to Thomas. Maybe you know, do you think this is a good time? Do you think this may be with the buy? Do you think? What do you think? Do you think? Do you think? It it doesn't take much of that to get to the point where Frank Reich realizes, I think that's what the boss wants me to decide to do. So exercising my full and complete discretion to make that decision, I think that's what I'll do. And the stakes are extra high, Miles, because when they come out of the bye, you know who they got? You know who they got? They got C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans, the guy they didn't draft when they moved up to number one, the guy who has looked light years more advanced and prepared and effective than Bryce Young. They lose that one, and C.J. Stroud looks great against that defense that's given up 42 points each of the last two games, and the offense isn't getting it done. That's when David Tepper... Who knows? Who who knows what any of these owners are going to do? Who knows? As the league feels more packed together, when you have a disastrous season, when you came in with reasonable expectations to be somewhat competitive in one of the worst divisions in football, and you're 0-6, and you could be 0-7 after your bye, who knows what David Tepper's going to do? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, and that, exactly. that's that's part of the that's part of the great theater of the NFL. But who knows? Who knows what Greg Penner is going to do in Denver? Who knows what David Tepper is going to do in in uh, Carolina? Can, can we put a graphic back up of the statistics between Bryce and, and CJ? I mean, these two rookies. You look at the numbers; it is dark comparison right there. You got CJ Stroud basically completing seventy percent of his throws. If we round up the point six. I mean, Bryce Young, 63.2. That's not awful. Look at the passing yards, man. I mean, that's almost double the passing yards C.J. Stroud has over Bryce Young. Look at yards per attempt, 7.8 to 5.3. And then obviously the 9 to 1 uh, touchdown to interception ratio. And C.J. Stroud had his first over the weekend. We got 6 to 4 for Bryce. I mean, this is a real, real stark difference between number two overall pick and number one overall pick. And that is not to say that this is what it's going to look like for their entire careers. It's obviously not. I mean, we are so uh, just at the beginning, at the nascent stages of these two guys' careers. But man, I mean, to, to look at the starts, you see one quarterback where everything seems to be tailored toward him and he is thriving in the environment. And you see another where, yeah, things are not working as well as you would expect especially given all of the good offensive minds that they have on that coaching staff. I don't necessarily want to say maybe it's this, but who knows? Maybe it is that they've got too many cooks in the kitchen. And, and for whatever reason, that's just having it not work. But I, I don't know, man. It, it is going to be interesting to see what happens when the Texans play the Panthers in a couple weeks. Hey, hey, we heard all about that in the offseason. Frank Reich, Thomas Brown, Jim Caldwell, Josh McCown. Yeah. Offensive 
minds, all-star coaching staff, where David Tepper, there's no salary cap. Let's go out and buy and buy and buy the best coaches we can. Let's put together yeah. this great staff, and let's put together a winner right now. And here they are, own six. And, you know, the other thing about the Stroud-Young comparison, Bryce Young's got a better collection of talent around him on both sides of the ball than Stroud does. Now, mm. people would debate that after six weeks. Going into the season, it wouldn't have been a debate. Panthers are the better team. The Texans are the team that were the consensus. They have no chance this year in the AFC. If there was one team that had no chance, it was the Texans. And here they are at three and three as the only plausible threat to the Jaguars in the AFC South. Let's take a break. Are the Bills panicking after another sluggish offensive performance? We're going to bring out the panic meter for that and other topics when this Tuesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. I think overall, um, you know, we're continuing to find find out who we are and what we do well, and um, I think that's a that's a um, ongoing process early in the year. Um, what players, you know, fit into what roles, and um, you know, the inconsistency, um, I think, is we've got to figure some things out here so we can get into a better rhythm, particularly early in the game. I was uh, wondering how much consideration you would be willing to give to someone else on your staff calling the offensive plays. Yeah, uh, zero. I think that was Tim Graham of The Athletic posing the question to Sean McDermott on whether or not Ken Dorsey would be supplanted as the play caller. Who would be supplanted with? See, that's the thing. When the head coach isn't an offensive guy, he can't take over the offensive play calling. And Sean McDermott's already taken over the defensive play calling because Leslie Frazier was the scapegoat. Sorry, but that's the perception and maybe the reality for what went wrong last year. And this gets back to what we were talking about earlier. Brian Dayball, offensive coordinator because the head coach is a defensive guy. Dayball does great with Josh Allen. Dayball's ship comes in, even though that ship may be sinking in year two. And now Ken Dorsey is struggling on the fly, learn the job, can he do it, only so many chances per year, and and something still is off. Yes, they won on Sunday night. Can you imagine the panic if they hadn't? But something is still off, Miles, with the Buffalo offense. I, I think there is something off about the Buffalo offense, yes, and I, I will concede that point. And they didn't look good against the Jaguars, but I, I think the Jaguars game is a bigger game than this one. Because if there is anybody who understands the personnel and the scheme of Buffalo's offense, it's Brian Dayball. It's his scheme. It, the, these are the players that he trained. So he understands what they do well and what they don't. And Wink Martindale is already a good defensive coordinator. So give him inside information to, uh, like, to understand what that offense wants to do and how they want to do it. Then he's going to be able to take things away. So... The, to me, this game is not necessarily a reflection of who the Bills are and who they're going to be. But I think if you want to look at something and say, uh-oh, like the London game against the Jaguars is probably a better one to say like, hey, we, there are things there that are concerning, but also it's a game in London and you flew over there and things get weird when you're in London. So 
let's see how the Bills do the next couple of weeks. And if they're still kind of stuck in the mud, then let's start to pin. All right, so put a number on it. One to ten, with ten being the highest. What is the level of panic for the Buffalo Bills offense right now? I I would only give it a four, four and a half. I, I think that especially because of the weird circumstances of the last two games, we've seen the Bills be really productive. I mean, they beat the brakes off the Raiders, right? I mean, like that we understand that the Bills can still do the things that they need to do. Now, do they need to be more consistent? Hell yeah, they need to be more consistent, right? Do they need to stop turning the ball over? Hell yeah, they need to stop turning the ball over. But I think at this point, I'm not as concerned about the Bills as I was coming into the season now that I've seen them play. I I think that they still have the juice that they need to have in order to win. And so, you know, whether they're scoring 32 points a game or not, like they they just need to be able to get to be themselves. And I think after the last couple of weeks, they're going to be focused in and we're going to be able to see them play a little bit better. I was going to say 6.5, but you know what? You've convinced me to drop it to 5.5. Here's the reality. After getting stunned by the Jets week one, they had three tremendous games in a row. They fell off with the London game, and it very well may be weird stuff happens in London, especially when the team you're playing has been there for more than a week to fully acclimate, and you flew over a few days before. With the Giants game, think of all the factors at play here. Brian Dayball knows the offense. Daniel Jones is missing the game. So the Bills are just viewing this as a buy. They're up. They've got – they're not up, but they've got a 15-point spread. That gets into the minds of the players. This was supposed to be easy. They, they, you know, you circle the big games on your calendar and you ignore the other ones. And this was a game to ignore. Even though it was in prime time, this is when they thought they were going to show up and win. And they showed up and still found a way to win, even though the Giants put a good scare into them. And they've got a get-right opportunity at New England on Sunday. They better not take the Patriots lightly or the Patriots will beat them. This is an opportunity to come out and score points and destroy the Patriots and dismantle them if they can. Kick them and stomp on them while they're down. And then short week Tampa Bay home game on Thursday Night Football. So I'll say five and a half, but they have a chance to really get it down around three the next two games, Miles. Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, if you go to New England and you do the thing that you're supposed to do, right, good teams keep losing teams losing, then you're going to be fine. And you come back home and you play a team in Tampa Bay that's been a little better than I expected, but they still have egg on their face from playing the Detroit Lions, another really good football team, but still, like, they scored six points in on Sunday. So they have an opportunity to right the ship over these next two games. 49ers injuries and the update from Kyle Shanahan, the head coach on Monday was Christian McCaffrey was actually literally getting his MRI when Shanahan was doing his press conference. So Shanahan didn't have to say what the results were. Hey, can we time that MRI? So it's happening during the press Uh conference. We don't have to tell anybody what the results were. And Debo Samuels day to day with his shoulder, which presumes that the MRI showed nothing negative because the x-rays were negative, which is positive from Sunday, Trent Williams does not have a high ankle sprain. What is the panic level for 49ers injuries? They get an extra day. They're going to Minnesota, 1 to 10, 10 being the highest. What do you got? I'd say 6 because it's two, well, 3 really of their best offensive players, right? Whether you're day to day or not, 
you know, sometimes things linger, right? We, we've seen that before, especially with soft tissue injuries. So Debo Samuel, I mean, if he can't use his shoulder the way he wants to, that takes away the physicality of his game, which is part of what makes him so great. Trent Williams, if he can't move the way he needs to move, right? That's part of what makes him so great as a left tackle. He can stay in front of these really good edge rushers. I mean, if Christian McCaffrey, who's been carrying the offense, can't play, that's another pretty big thing. So I'd say six and a half right now, and it could easily go higher if it turns out the McCaffrey injury is serious. I'm going to go even higher than that. I'm going to go eight. Here's why. A week ago when we were crowning, and I was one of the ones putting the crown on the 49ers, dominant team, far and away the best team in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem, and I pointed this out. The way they play makes them susceptible to injuries. It makes their key players susceptible to injury. It makes all their players – because, you know – Hey, it's great that they have a collection of guys who will roll out of bed and run into the wall. The problem is sometimes the wall wins. And if you keep running into the wall over and over and over and over and over again, something's going to happen. And when you start losing your key players, I mean, they fight for every last inch of territory instead of going down. That's just another opportunity for someone to come in and clean it up and give you a hit and twist you around and you feel invincible until you're not. So if McCaffrey misses time, if Debo's not himself, now Kyle Shanahan's attitude is next man up and we just keep going, but Christian McCaffrey is clearly better than whoever else they have on the depth chart. You know, this is the ultimate rotating system where we can put anybody in and then they get a chance to get McCaffrey last October and they jump on it because he's clearly better than anyone else they could have. If he misses time... That changes everything. And these injuries can accumulate given the way that they play. And it's a long season, 17 games, a lot of opportunities to get guys injured, a lot of opportunities to not have key guys when those playoffs roll around. And it's just, you know, it's it's refreshing because last week it's like, we're just checking the boxes here. We're playing out the string. This is the 49ers year. This is it. We're just witnessing it. Well, now, maybe not. Maybe not after what happened in Cleveland and given these injuries going forward. Now, after they beat the Vikings, 42 to 3 on Monday night. Maybe we'll feel differently again. But it's ebbs and flows. It's highs and lows. And it's good. It's part of the journey. We're getting there. We're a third of the way through the regular season. And we'll see how it all plays out. Before you know it, we'll be covering the 2023 24 playoffs. Let's take a break. When we return, did the Eagles intentionally let the Jets score at the end of Sunday's game at MetLife Stadium? Coach Nick Sirianni answers that question sort of we'll discuss that next year on pft live around any corner within every battle and with the dawn of each new day the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat Protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, I'm just curious what, what the decision process was behind, uh, you know, letting them score on, the, on their final drive. That's if we, that's if we let them score. Um, did you not let them score? Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. I just don't think that's something that I want to get into. Um, and that, you know, because again, that's, that's discussing a strategy thing that, uh, that I don't think I respect your question. And I know, and I know you guys got a job to do, but I just don't want to, there, there's some things that I, I'm always going to keep close to the vest. Now, either Nick Sirianni is becoming a candidate to be the next Bill Belichick of the NFL, or he didn't want to admit it was the strategy because that opens the door to the question of whether it was the right strategy. Sims and I spent a lot of time yesterday talking about this. I wrote about it yesterday afternoon on PFT. I think it was the wrong strategy to let them score. And if they weren't letting them score, it was just piss poor defense, frankly. It was horrendous grab, 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 not even grab defense. But um, I think that Sirianni doesn't want to go there, not because he's trying to keep his secrets close, he doesn't want to have the next conversation, which is why did you think that it was better to let them score, go up by six, and then you have to score a touchdown on a defense you'd only scored a touchdown on twice all day with limited time and two timeouts versus forcing them to kick a field goal and then you only have to gain 30, 35, 40 yards. you got a minute left. You can do that. One pass to A.J. Brown, one to Devontae Smith. Before you know it, Jake Elliott's in range to win the game. That's the next question if he admits that he actually let the Jets score, Miles. Yes, yeah. The whole maybe we did, maybe we didn't. I mean, that's a tacit admission, right? I mean, like we were saying earlier in the show, either it's strategy or you're dumb. Right. I mean, because if that's the way you're doing it and on defense, I mean, this is not something that we're used to seeing from the Eagles here. Oh, oh, no. Look, Brees Hall's coming right by me. Oh, my gosh. I guess I can't make the tackle. Oh, oh, oh boy. Oops. Oh, no. Like, that's not that's not the way the Eagles play. We all know that that's not the way the Eagles play. And I think if you're going to do that and you have 146 left, and, you know, you have two timeouts and you feel like you can maybe put a dynamic drive together with a quarterback who was an MVP candidate last year. And you are still confident in despite the fact that he's not played well over the course of the game. I understand what that strategy is, but I also understand the other side of it where, look, if you try to force them to kick a field goal and you have a minute left or so, maybe a little bit under a minute because you use your two timeouts, that also makes sense as a potential strategy. But there are. There are more than one way. There's more than one way to go about it. I get why Sirianni did what he did. And I also do understand why he didn't necessarily want to explain that. I think he was throwing down the gauntlet to the Jets defense and the Jets welcomed it. And Robert Sala said it himself. They welcomed Mm -hmm. the challenge of keeping them out of the end zone. And it's just a different vibe. Everything changes from the kickoff. And every point forward, I mean, what, what if they pop a return to the 35 or the 40? Then they only need a couple of first downs in in a minute with no timeouts, and they're in position to win the game. It was absolutely the right thing to do to welcome it by the Jets, and I think yes. it was the wrong thing to do 
by the Eagles to give it up, and it was the right thing to do and the smart thing to do by Sirianni to put the wall up before he got to the question of why did you think that was the right strategy. All right, let's take a break. When we return, some updates on some of the quarterback injuries around the NFL, and there are a few of them. More PFT Live right after this. Uh, Update uh, before we get going on Jimmy. Um, You know, there was some concern yesterday that we would, um, you know, there was an internal um, issue. Um, So we did a bunch of scans yesterday, last night. Um, Seems like we've dodged a big bullet uh, in that regard. So that's good news. Josh McDaniels on the status of quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who was taken to the hospital by ambulance after halftime of Sunday's win over the New England Patriots. Really, what should have happened back in September of 2006 when Chris Sims' spleen was ruptured during a game and he kept going and nobody bothered to check him. It wasn't until after the game that Jake DeLome, the Panthers quarterback, said, you don't look too good, that Sims realized something was amiss. He had a ruptured spleen and almost died, frankly, from that. So teams... The league, far more sensitive to player health. Let's get him to the hospital. Let's get his spleen, his kidneys, his liver, everything inside that body checked out just in case. The good news is, as McDaniel said, they dodged a big bullet. His status, though, for week seven is unclear. He goes back to his hometown of Chicago, hometown area, went to college there, grew up there the Raiders and the Bears, and it could be both teams don't have their starting quarterback. And it apparently will be Aiden O'Connell Miles as the starter, even though Brian Hoyer was the one who came in on Sunday in place of Garoppolo. I kind of think it's interesting what the Raiders have done in terms of their backup quarterbacks. Sort of in the in-game situation, McDaniels likes going to Brian Hoyer because he has the experience of needing to go into a game immediately, right? I mean, he's a guy in his mid to late 30s. He's been playing football forever, and he's had to do that before, so he understands it. And then if you're going to, you know, have time over the course of a week to install a game plan then they're saying all right we can go with Aiden O'Connell and I really thought that O'Connell acquitted himself pretty well a few weeks ago when they were here in Los Angeles playing the Chargers I mean there is an argument to be made that the Raiders really should have won that game in part because of some poor fourth down decisions by the Chargers, right? They, they had an opportunity to win. They were first and goal at, I believe, the three-yard line. And then Nate O'Connell throws an interception because it was a bad play called by the Raiders. But I think if that's what they're going to do, then it makes sense to play the rookie. We've seen him do a little bit. Let's see if he can take another step if Garoppolo can't play this week. And it would be one rookie against another rookie potentially at Soldier Field in Chicago. Justin Fields unlikely to play this week due to the right thumb injury. It kept him from gripping the ball. That's something we explained on Sunday's Football Night in America. Tyson Bagent from Shepherd University. It's about three hours from here, but it is West Virginia Division II. He's a West Virginia kid. Great story. They love him in Chicago. This is his opportunity. And he was not horrible when he came in. On Sunday against the Vikings, he, he did have a turnover that was returned for a touchdown, a fumble, and he did have a an interception. But they were they were driving. I before the interception, and I think his arm got hit or the ball got hit. He got rushed when he threw the ball, and Byron Murphy Jr. picked it off. If I thought the Bears were going to win the game, I thought they were going to drive down and win the game, and the legend of Tyson Bagent was going to be born in Chicago, and how differently people would feel about the Bears if they had pulled that off. But it would be Bagent versus O'Connell 
on Sunday if Garoppolo and Fields can't go. And Miles, right now, it looks that's what like that's what it's going to be. Yeah, and frankly, I'd rather watch Bajan than the Peter Man for the Bears. So I, I mean, I mean, if you're if you're the Raiders, you know, you're Marcus Peters, you're some of those coordinate Hobbs over there, man. You're like, oh, you sure you guys don't want to start the veteran Nathan Peterman? You know, you sure that this is the way you want to go with the rookie? I mean, hey, Peterman's got a veteran presence, and you know, those Raiders DBs are like, hey, man, let me get my hands ready, let me get on the jugs machine. We might see the Peter Man this week. My all-time favorite stat, and I went back and calculated this at the time, when Sean McDermott benched Tyrod Taylor for Nathan Peterman and that disastrous game against the Chargers, Peterman's passer rating was actually higher if you calculated it from the perspective of him intending to throw the ball to Chargers players instead of Bills players. Higher passer rating that day when you factor in interception returns for touchdowns, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm surprised Nathan Peterman's still on a roster anywhere, and he's been on and off the Bears roster, but it would be Bajant if we don't have fields. Doug Peterson says Trevor Lawrence is day-to-day with a knee issue, may split practice reps this week. It's a weird week because it's a short week. Thursday night football, Jaguars at Saints. C.J. Beathard is the backup quarterback. Yeah, he hasn't started a game since 2020 when he was still uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, so that's not an ideal situation. I mean, Doug Peterson was playing it close to the vest yesterday. I was speaking to Nick Sirianni and trying to, you know, not exactly reveal strategy things. You know, Doug Peterson was basically asked, hey, do you, is there a chance that he's not, he's not going to play? And Peterson said, well, he's day to day. And so he was a non-participant on the, uh, let's call it fake injury report, because there was no practice yesterday. You don't practice when you're coming off of a game. You might have gone through maybe a light walkthrough. But if the Jaguars had practice, uh, Trevor Lawrence would not have practice. So we'll see what happens today. This is kind of the only day that you may get a jog through on the field. If he's still a non-participant, you'd have to think that Beathard is going to be in line to start against the Saints. Ryan Tannehill, the Titans quarterback, when you last saw him on Sunday, he was standing around watching the game because the x-ray room was on the other side of the stadium. Cart had to come get him. State-of-the-art Tottenham Hotspur dual-purpose soccer football stadium, but for whatever reason, on that side of the field, guy had to wait for the cart to come get him to go to the x-ray room. High ankle sprain, same ankle he injured last year. They're going into their bye. They've got Malik Willis and Will Levis. Willis has developed better, I think, than they expected. Maybe they wouldn't have drafted Will Levis if they knew what Willis was going to be this year. Willis is currently the number two. Miles, I won't be surprised if we don't see Tannehill again for the Titans. Yeah. Not he's going to be traded. I, I think that, you know, just injured reserve, doesn't play again this year, free agency he leaves, and it's Willis versus Levis next year for the starting job. Maybe. I mean, it's it's really unfortunate for Tannehill. And, and, you know, I mean, he's getting up there in age. And we saw it last year with Matt Ryan. When it goes, it goes quickly. And, you know, the Titans have not been able to get much consistency out of their run game. So that doesn't help. But Mike, I'll tell you, man. I mean, you said that Malik Willis has developed. But and it's not like they've developed a game plan around him this year when he needs to be in there. But in limited snaps... On Sunday, I wrote the story of PFT yesterday. That's why I know this offhand. He had 18 snaps, and he took four sacks and another sack that was wiped off via penalty. 44% of his dropbacks, limited dropbacks, yes, this year, 
he has been sacked. I think over his career when he's played, it's something around 14, 15%. That is far too many sacks to be taking as a quarterback. And it's not all on the offensive line. That A lot of that is on the QB. So if Malik Willis is going to play, then he cannot get sacked like that. He's got to learn how to get rid of the ball better. Or if he's going to extend the play, then throw it away or, you know, get moving vertically and not horizontally so he can get some yards. But you cannot take sacks like that as a quarterback. And if Ryan Tannehill really is reaching the end of the road, think back to that draft class of 2012. Andrew Luck, long gone. RG3, long gone. Ryan Tannehill, maybe done. Brandon Whedon, remember him. Russell Wilson, yes. sun is setting. Kirk Cousins, still going strong. The fourth-round pick that year out of Michigan State. So uh, the, the 2012, at least first-round class, could be done uh, for good. I don't know. We'll see if Ryan Tannehill finds a spot next year. I don't want to get premature. We may see him back with the Titans. Who knows? Maybe we'll see him back after the bye. I just have a feeling it's moving toward a conclusion for Ryan Tannehill. We're moving toward a conclusion of the show when we return we're going to take a look at who made the biggest statements in all of week six from Thursday to Sunday to Monday. We'll do it next on this Tuesday edition of BFP Live. Got a couple of things where it looked like I got in my back pocket. Anybody see what that is? They got to fight. They got to fight. I got something else here. This Dan Campbell playing the role of Carrot Top there with props as he celebrated the fifth win of the season. Week six is done. I wonder what else he had. I'm curious. I want to know what Dan Campbell carries around in his pockets. I mean, really, what well, – uh, that's for another day. For today, week six, statement, biggest statement, any player, any unit, any team, anything, any coach, any one – all the way back to Thursday night, Miles. I can't even remember who played on Thursday night. Oh, Chiefs Broncos. Go. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick with Sunday at least at first here. And I'll go with the Browns defense, man, because, wow, what an impressive performance by that unit coordinated by Jim Schwartz. You're starting P.J. Walker at quarterback on the other side. Guy that just basically got to you six weeks ago or so. And, you know, he's a guy that's played in the league a little bit, but you knew if the Browns are going to have any chance at winning that game, then the Jim Schwartz defense was going to have to show up and show out. And by golly, did they ever do that? I mean, this has been clearly the league's best defense this year. And to hold the 49ers to their lowest yardage output ever under Kyle Shanahan that says a lot about what that unit is doing. Jim Schwartz had a lot of success against Kyle Shanahan, you know, when they have been going against each other, apparently now nine and one against Kyle Shanahan coached offenses, whether that's he, we either one of those guys were head coach or coordinator. So big shout out to Jim Schwartz for my Browns upsetting the 49ers this week. It's almost to the level of the next time a team in the NFC West is looking for a head coach. Why aren't you calling Schwartz? Because you need to offense. compete with Shanahan twice a year. Well, I know, but still, but, and, and I know that contradicts what I said earlier in the show this about sure having an offensive head coach. But if, but if you've got a defensive coach that has cracked the code on Kyle Shanahan, who prides himself on cracking the code on everyone else, you got something, you got somebody smarter than Kyle Shanahan right there at a minimum, at a minimum, if he's looking for another defensive coordinator job, hire him on an NFC West team. All right. First one for me. 
And I'm on board. I'm influenced by Chris Sims. Tyreek Hill, big statement on Sunday. Between the catches and the yards and the impact and the touchdown and the selfie that was clearly coordinated with the guy that was there coincidentally taping the play and handing him the phone so he could do the flip. We are wired to believe that the MVP comes from the quarterback position for one of the two teams that ends up with the top seed. That's the way it's played out in recent years, since Adrian Peterson back in 2012. Tyree Kill could be the first receiver ever to be the MVP. He's on track to have 2,300-plus receiving yards. And the default will be Tua. And, you know, Tua is the guy everyone likes. Tyreek is the guy that's got the bad history. He had the incident a few years ago that was kind of weird, and then it kind of just went away. It's going to be fascinating, Miles, to see what the voters do. If the Dolphins end up as the top seed, as they very well might, if Tyreek Hill breaks the all-time receiving yardage record, as he very well might, and if Tua throws for 5,000 yards, as he very well might, where does the MVP voting go? And remember, now you do five. You don't just carve up your vote halfway. You have to pick a one, a two, a three, a four, and a five. Will, t- will Tyreek be the NFL's MVP if he keeps this up? You can make a very strong argument that he should be. Yeah, I mean, and this is what I was talking about earlier in the show. When you talk about scheming for your best players, like the Cowboys aren't necessarily doing with C.D. Lamb, you know for damn sure every week Mike McDaniel is going to be scheming for Tyreek Hill, and right now it is certainly paying off. Um, My second pick, I'm going to go with the Rams run game for a Sunday statement. It was a weird game in that in the first half, there were just three rushing attempts by the Los Angeles Rams. They totaled five yards, but they finished with a season high 179 yards on the ground most of them by Kyron Williams I mean it it reminded me of the days late in the 2018 season when CJ Anderson just ran the Rams into the number two seed with his performances over the last two weeks just there was a concerted effort for the Rams to get going on the ground they ran it eight straight times with design runs and Matthew Stafford had a ninth straight run to start on a scramble to start the second half there for Los Angeles. And it just turned into a really, really controlling win over the Arizona Cardinals, a division rival. So the Rams are scrappy. The Rams are fun. I think the Rams, if they continue to play like this, especially with the run game could end up in the postseason. But now we see that their top two running backs are dealing with injury. We'll see what happens, but certainly their run game made a statement on Sunday. And if they get to the playoffs, I guarantee you, no one is going to want to play them there. Experience, skill, great players if they're healthy. You're not going to want to cross pass with the Rams in that setting. All right, I'm going to go back to Thursday night. Travis Kelsey. And I'm going to extend it all the way through the weekend, up to and including last night. Travis Kelsey on Thursday night, nine targets, nine catches, 124 yards. Without him, the Chiefs very likely would have lost to the lowly, woeful, pitiful Broncos. Then, Saturday night, there he is, out in the open with Taylor Swift on Saturday Night Live. An unscheduled cameo, last-minute thing, shows up. Everybody goes crazy. Everybody loves Travis Kelsey. Then, Sunday, MetLife Stadium. He's on the sideline 
at the Eagles-Jets game. What's he doing there while his brother plays for the Eagles? There he is on that bad ankle, standing there watching the game. And then last night, him and his brother are at the Phillies-Diamondbacks game. This is Travis Kelsey's world. The rest of us are just renting space in it. He is the biggest star in the NFL right now, and it does have something to do with the person he's escorting out of the back of that. Boy, you'd think they'd be in a nicer car, although it probably is, like, bulletproof and... And, you know, I mean, it's you just you would think that they'd I doubt that was an Uber. That's probably especially made. Look at that thing. That's like the beast, I would bet. That's like the thing they take the president in. No one is invading that vehicle. Miles, it's a suburban. Anyway, I mean, we got to take a that's break. Good old American ingenuity right there, babe. We got to take a break with bulletproof glass. We got to take a break. Round three of the Sunday and Monday and Thursday statement draft on this Tuesday. PFT live right after this. All right, one more round for the Week 6 Statement Draft. Miles, you're up. I'll just go with the Lions. Look, we started with Dan Campbell in the last segment. They, that team got to 5-1, and one, and they held Baker Mayfield and that, uh, that Buccaneers offense to just six points. Baker Mayfield had been on fire on third down over the course of the season. Tampa Bay was 2 of 12 on third down in that game. Defense performed great. Got to give Brad Holmes a lot of credit for the way that he has constructed that team now. And you see, man, the, the Lions, they are true contenders. I give them a lot of credit for what they did. Jets defense beating the Eagles. And the Eagles had been vulnerable all year, but they were still 5-0. and No one had beaten them. The Jets believed how the Jets, how they have turned the corner. Jets fans were abandoning ship not long ago. That Chiefs game that they still lost, that was the moment the clouds parted. They beat the Broncos. They beat the Eagles. Three and three was best case scenario with Aaron Rodgers. They're Mm -hmm. three and three without Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers is intent on playing. And who knows what the Jets are going to be once they come out of their bye and keep moving forward. That defense is saving the day for the Jets. Miles, you saved the day for us today. Chris, get better. Although he'll probably not show up tomorrow either. Miles, maybe it'll be you again. I don't know. They don't tell me. We tell you, have a good day. See you Wednesday. What the hell is this? Shereen tomorrow. Okay, now they... The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support, anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.